I'm Captain Kirk. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present the winners of the 74th Annual Hunger Games. We are the men in black. I'm the doctor, by the way. What's your name? Rose. Nice to meet you, Rose. Run for your life. My name is Optimus Prime. I am the Futus of War. Resistance is futile. Yes, a Jedi's drink flows from the Force, but beware of the dark side. Well, welcome everybody to Treks in Sci-Fi. Rico has graciously granted us yet the pilot seat again, which is always fun. This is program number 447 for July 28th. 2013. And I am not alone. I am Rick Moyer, but I am not alone. No, I'm with my wonderful co-hosts, Brian and Jeff. Hi, guys. Hey, Rick. Hey, Rick. Hey, Rick. (laughs) Last time we were on together, we did Star Trek ships, and we talked about our favorite ships, and we talked about the different classes of Starfleet ships, and so on and so forth. And we got such a great response from it. People were geeking out, and it's really, you know, it's not something that your normal average person talks about every day. In fact, most people don't even know what we're talking about when we talk about different spaceships and and the styles of them and so on. But uh, we, while we were doing that show, I remember you guys were like, well, we have so much more to cover. There's no way we can do a a longer show here because we'd already done like an hour and a half. So we decided why not come back and do a couple more shows on different ships in Star Trek. And yeah, so, t- yeah, yeah go ahead. We talked about initially, Rick, just to jump in that, you know, the ships in Star Trek are as much a function of the story and of, of what we see on the screen or on the small, on the big screen or small screen as the stories and the characters themselves. And they, they definitely are deserving of their own uh, show or their own opportunity to talk about them because they certainly have add so much to, uh, how they f- at the sort of fill out the universe that we're, we become so familiar with and we love so much. Yeah, absolutely. And and I know, I know for me, um, they are a character in the show, and and especially the ones that we see a lot. They just become part. Of, you kind of get to know how they operate and you know what the differences are between the different ships and stuff. And so it's a lot of fun. And I know Jeff, you are really into some of the alien ships as well, eh? Yeah, I really like. Uh, well, like I say, I, to be honest, I, I think I, you know, I really like the Enterprises, but uh, you know, those uh, Klingon ships sure give uh, oh. give some of those Federation ships a real run for their money. They and, really, uh, they really style. do. 
Well, I've got a question for you guys when we get going here because it's just kind of been um I never really did any research to find out why, and I'm I'm very sure that you guys know the answer to it. So I'll I'll just kind of save that little surprise question for you guys. But Jeff, I'm going to turn it over to you since you are the man that has done most of the research here. Why don't you go ahead and take us through lists of uh, of the alien ships in Star Trek, and let's uh let's talk about them. Let's geek out, guys. Okay. Well, let's go and. Uh... I think we're going to start off with um, the Klingon uh, ships because uh, the Klingons have the you know kind of the largest presence in in the whole kind of Star Trek uh, universe. So I, and, we're, and I, we're the I think the the Klingons may have been the very first alien ship or alien or ship that we see per, perpetually throughout the series that we ever saw in Star Trek. And yeah. as memory serves, wasn't. Oh, there was an alien scout. A Klingon scout ship was was shown as a, like a little spinning um, star in an episode of TOS. And for the life of me, I can't remember it. And I'm sure Rico's jumping up and down. Yeah, but going, I can't remember I if that was before or after they. I think the first episode in TOS that they showed up was uh, the Elan of Troyes, I think. Mm. Or was that with the? Do you guys, do, Jeff? Do you know offhand what was the first episode they showed up in? A Klingon Klingon showed yeah. up in. Yeah. Oh. Was in the first season. It would have been um, well. The Klingon, the Klingon showed up in Errand of Mercy for the first time. Yeah. But I'm just thinking when their ship, when the actual, they actually showed the ships because in Errand of Mercy, they actually do, they actually don't show a Klingon ship. Oh uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. It's almost possible that that Romulan warbird was the first one to. I was thinking that too because yeah. I remember they they really played it out for a long time, and then I was like, I want to see yeah. what it's going to look like, man. And right. then when it showed up, it was like, oh. <laughs> oh, here we go. I, I, did, I found it. Yeah, the, the, the Klingon battlecruiser model that we're about to talk about was first shown in Elan of, of Troyes episode. That's where that was the first time that model was used. And then obviously it came back in, um, in uh, the Enterprise incident as a Romulan ship. Um, and I'm trying to think of what other episodes it may have shown up. In. You know, keep, I'm sorry, keep talking. I'll, I'll take a look around and see if I can find it. Yeah, so we're gonna like say like say we're gonna kind of cover off, and, and you know probably the best spot to to start with is the the one we were just talking about the uh, Klingon D seven class uh, Klingon uh, kind of battle cruiser. So I I think maybe that's possibly the most iconic um, alien ship from 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 the series. It's probably the yeah. one which got the most most screen time, uh, definitely. And wasn't it the first? Isn't isn't it also in the motion picture? The first uh, set of ships we see are those. Those uh, are actually Katingas, and, and, but they're based off the D7. Oh, okay, all right. Because every time, every time I, you guys say the battle cruiser, I think, dun 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 dun. And you know who played the uh, captain of that uh, Klingon battle cruiser? Oh, uh, uh, no, no. Who? No, Mark Leonard, who was um, Sarek, right. Spock's father. That's right. That's right. Who is also the, the Romulan, first Romulan uh, yeah. commander that's in right. that uh, Balance of Terror. So. Yeah. Right. Oh, my gosh. He's played a Vulcan, a Romulan, and a Klingon. That's pretty cool. I didn't realize it was him yeah. as a Klingon. I actually I have his autograph on a, on a photograph in my closet from one of my conventions I went to back in the 80s. Oh, that's cool. Before he passed away, yeah. I just watched, I just watched uh, the episode Sarek of, uh, on TNG. Great episode. Oh right, where he he's got the the, the mine. Yeah, right. yeah, that was cool. sorry, Jeff. Okay, so we D seven. Anyways, we'll get back to you know some uh, maybe some specs here about the uh, about the the D seven is uh, uh, according to the Memory Alpha 
Memory Alpha Wiki, the, the length of the D7 is 228 meters. Uh, it's got a crew, crew complement of uh, 430, which I think um, I think it was the Day of the Dove, I think, where they um, kind of um, mentioned that. that. So yeah. I think that's where that, that, um, that came from. It's got a speed of uh, warp 9+, plus, uh, two disruptor cannons, one photon torpedo, magnetic pulse disruptor, blast launcher, and a phaser emitter, and then also it's got deflector shields, and uh, like I say, that's that's kind of the uh, the stats on on the Klingon D7. It's kind of an interesting ship too, because um, like we've discussed, we've kind of seen it uh, a few times. You know, we've seen it as a Klingon's uh, ship, and then also there was, um, I guess, probably a brief uh, Klingon Romulans alliance where the uh, Romulans. Um, the Romulans had also had the D7s, which, uh, uh, depending on what you read, uh, the Klingons gave them some D7s in exchange for uh, the cloaking device. Well, that was my question, because I always got confused when people would say bird of prey, when I was thinking, wait a minute, I thought the Romulans had birds of prey. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. They 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 carried that forward into Star Trek three search for Spock. Yeah. Yeah. They sort of, they sort of ran with that idea and figured that, that the Romulans and the Klingons, if they were in an alliance would have shared technology. And so the Klingons right. ever since the enterprise incident TOS episode had cloaking capabilities and they introduced the bird of prey, which we'll, we'll get to shortly after talking about the D sevens. But yeah. Um, yeah, that's how it all sort of came to, came to be. And I think, and Jeff, you, you made a great point earlier when, before we started recording, um, we were talking a little bit about how one of the one of the earliest uh, models that you could buy as a kit from AMT was of the D7, along with the Enterprise and the Romulan Bird of Prey and the K7 space station. And I think without a doubt that the D7 model was was really closest to what the actual filming miniature made by uh, Matt Jeffries looked like. Um, and Jeff, you made an interesting comment about how why you think that they did the switch over to the Romulan model the, to have them have the Romulans have that D7 design. Yeah, we were discussing it a little bit off microphone there, and uh, it, kind of a there was a few theories going around. One theory was was that AMT kind of helped kind of fund the 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 D7 model, so uh, the producers kind of wanted to you know give them kind of a you know, help them out by, you know, showcasing the, the D7 model more to kind of promote model sales. And then the other kind of thought was that um, after filming um, uh, after filming that Romulan episode, which is just uh, Balance of Terror, that uh, they actually, uh, they no longer had the filming model for the, uh, the, for the Romulan Bird of Prey. So then they had to use the, uh, the, the Klingon ships. So there's a few kind of theories out there about it, uh, about why why the Romulans use that D7, you know, from a more practical standpoint, I guess. That's interesting, yeah. We know there there are some photographs online, and I've seen a lot of photographs over time of the actual filming miniature of the D7. And one of the things that really doesn't appear well or show well on screen, um, number one, the model was, wasn't lit um, so that the windows were kind of were dark. Um, which is probably just a, was a budgetary issue. I'm sure if they had the budget for it, they would have lit it. But what's really beautiful is if you look at photographs of the actual filming miniature, how the ship, the ship appears on screen as being kind of gray, but the reality is there's a number of different colors of green. 
was is the actual colors of the filming miniature. And if you see it, there's actually about two or three different colors and shades of green or greenish gray that are on the actual model as it was before the camera. But because of the cam the limitations of the time, it never gets picked up on the on and the way they lit it. It just never got picked up in, on film. But it really was a beautiful looking model. It was really, really neat. And to my knowledge, it, it survived through the filming of TOS and well into the filming of the motion picture. And one of and they were going to use it for the motion picture, um, but then decided that the model lacked details. So they took the original one of the original, well, I don't know if it was the original filming model or if they made a copy of it to upgrade it into what we saw on screen in the motion picture, which was the Katinka-class D7s, wow. which effectively were the same ship with just a lot more detail and a lot more stuff added on and right. just some very, very minor changes. Yeah, like, like you were saying, Brian, it was kind of, uh, maybe we'll just kind of roll that a bit into a bit, a talk about the Katinka as well from the motion picture is... I guess, like, like you say, when they took the D7, like you say, they wanted to add more details to kind of give it more for, because when they kind of did some um, screen tests or whatever for um, widescreen for a movie theater, like say a D7, you know, kind of lacks scale. So they wanted yeah. to add, you know, kind of kind of uh, all those markings and etchings, you know, kind of almost like kind of bird feathers or something like that on onto the ship to just give it more scale and make it look like a, a, a much larger ship. Right. Well, yeah, I remember and, being and blown away in the theater, just going, "Oh my gosh!" Oh, it, it was. I, I I still can watch that. Gave me that chills over and over. Yeah. The, be, between the music, yeah. and the visuals, and you know the V'ger cloud and the the blue and the, it's yeah. just it's just and then the interior of the Klingon ship and it's where it's all bathed in red and you can tell they're in a combat situation. Yeah, and you see. The gunners behind the cap, so the captain sits right at the front by the view screen, and behind him, the guys with the gunners are like they're like targeting and they're moving and yeah. it's everything. There's so many little things about that scene that just make it so exciting. It's a, such a yeah. great scene to watch, and the fact that we saw Klingons with these new ridges, these, this new look and this new language and everything made it even more sort of visceral and really cool to watch. And uh, yeah. what's neat about um, when you go back and look at at the D7s in TOS. Um, in the few episodes where they actually are firing on the Enterprise, that instead of phasers, they had disruptors. That was and, and same with their hand weapons. The Klingons had disruptors instead of phasers. Right. And do you, Jeff, do you, uh, I don't know if you remember this, Rick, but and Jeff, because you're sort of more into this like I am. You ever notice how like in the show they emit from the front of the nacelles is where they fire from. Yeah. And as a kid, and as a kid, I always thought that was so strange because I was like, well, what's that little thing in the front of the command module isn't that where the weapons are going to be or would they be here um but that's where they animated the effect from probably because it was they're far apart and they could you could it would look better doing it that way but it was all i always thought it was funny how that was like I, I, when i got my amt models i'd look at them like well where are these disruptor banks i don't see where these things <laughs> are supposed to be <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yeah like say like brian says it's a beautiful that, that d7 like say the detailing on that thing is you know, from the paint wise, like I never really noticed until I really started uh, following people who uh, build models of these. Like I, ne yeah. I always thought it was just a gray model, but uh, like say that the top part of the model is kind of um, like the top part of the uh, the kind of the the primary hull or whatever is kind of kind of a gray, and then all underneath of it, and then like the command center and all that, 
except for the top of the command center is all kind of like Brian says, these different nice kind of greens to them. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Now, when um, you had, um, uh, you commissioned a model to be made. I did. Brian from uh, that, this See, guy, no. he's amazing. Yeah. I, I still watch his stuff. Oh, he's got that new, that new, that new warehouse. He got a new shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. <laughs> it's really cool. But uh, did he do the paint job like that with all the yes. greens? Uh, yeah, and and so the 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 Katingas were also green. That's the way they were painted. They were painted a green color. But on screen, when you watch the scene from a motion picture, again they show gray because of the reflective blue lighting of the V'ger cloud uh, washed out the green on film and made it look gray. But if you look at the actual filming model, they were, they were actually very much green. Not, wow. not quite so like this, like the green that, that the, D, the original D7 models were, which is a lot lighter, but uh, a darker green. But yeah, Steve made my Katinga model to be reflective of, you know, he, he made an interesting comment to me once. He said, you know, there are two different ways to look at a, a model and how you build it. Do you make it look like it looked on screen or the way the model was actually done? And mine is the way it was actually done. But if you, if you wanted to want to look, look like it looked on screen, you would certainly go with more of a gray color because that's, they do look gray on screen. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. And also too, like a little difference too, like just looking at a picture of the Contingo right here right now is that the, the nacelles are more, maybe a, there's a little more lighting in the nacelles. From, well, the lighting of the nacelles yeah. only came about in Star Trek um, five or six. Oh, so, six. Yeah, you're yeah, right. They, yeah, they, right there, they, Brian. Yeah. yeah, they they redid them, and that that also appears when you look at episodes of I don't know about TNG, but in DS9, the model, the filming miniature for the Katinga had been changed for the undiscovered country and reflect a green sort of tint you know, or green lighting effect in the nacelles that was just added to make them look a little more jazzy in fact the the, the d7 model uh went from tos where it was very like we said very plain but a very interesting and, and unique design to the motion picture where they put a lot more detailing on it they added sort of a, a rear torpedo bank and rear rear um, impulse engines that glowed red to make it you know more visually interesting and then by the time they got to Undiscovered Country, they really jazzed it up with like reds and orange. There's like a lot of different color on the model. So the model is as it exists today in 2013, it looks just like what you saw in Star Trek VI. That's wow. the, the, and it's the same model that we saw in the motion picture. It's just been jazzed up over time to make it more interesting and look a little bit different. That's cool. Yeah, like we kind of discovered in our previous uh, discussions about Star Trek ships, they seem to uh, kind of reuse the same uh, filming models over and over again and then yeah. kind of repaint them or touch them up. So, well, Can you imagine so, the cost involved? Yeah, it would be prohibitive to yeah. keep having to build new ones. Well, that, and that's why CGI now is the is the way to go because if you can dream it, you can make it. Yep, totally. But, you uh, know, uh, and they, but this is, I mean, really, truly an iconic, iconic ship. You know, and I think that, you know, just to go, to, to go back from TOS, that Enterprise... Um, you know, they had the D, I guess the D5 class was, was shown in Enterprise. That was, I think that was all CGI, um, which is, a, and that was kind of a cool little ship that they made for Enterprise, but that was supposed to be the, the precursor for what eventually becomes the D7, which right. is such a, right. a big ship. I mean, you watch, you watch any episode of DS9 during the Dominion War, 
and like the universe is lousy with these sevens. They're everywhere. <laughs> They're, yeah. Whenever the Klingons show up, it's it's birds of prey and D sevens all over the place. Well, the the D five looks looks more like a a scout ship. You know, yeah. kind, kind of like a yeah. scout ship, and and uh, and then it got a little bit of the the uh, classic uh, cruiser in it. But uh, uh, from a standpoint of a spaceship, though, and from a warrior race, I think it's kind of silly design because I mean, think about it for a moment. You've got this big, huge Herkin engine part on the back, right? And then you got this long tube, and then you put all your command people up in the front. That to me, I thought that was kind of a weird design because it's like we'll just go for the neck. Yeah. You know, we, you know, it's funny. People sometimes talk about how even the Enterprise with that thin dorsal fin connecting the primary hull and the secondary hull right, doesn't right. make a lot of like engineering. Sense. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's not about the engineering anyway. But but I mean, if I was going to design, I design it like the Defiant. Right. You know, where it's stocky, stocky but quick and powerful. And you're all in one little spot. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I always thought that was funny. I mean, I love the I love the Klingon design. I thought it was fantastic. And I think as well too, I, from some of my reading, was that the producers when they were designing the Klingon ship, um, they did kind of have the kind of the Enterprise in mind, where you had kind of your your primary hull and your secondary hull, and they right, had yeah. that kind of that that still had that feeling in mind, where they had kind of two separate parts of the the ship again. Right. So right. I think that that's part of the kind of the inspiration they. They got uh, when designing the uh, the Klingon cruisers there. Yeah. No, it's just it's 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 an iconic ship. It's an iconic look. It's you, you know you can sh- you can put it on, put it in front of any anyone who's even not a Star Trek fan and they could probably identify and know what it is. I mean, it really is a a classic classic design, and it it leads us you know chronologically from TOS into the films. Um, you know, eventually getting to the to the Bird of Prey, which you know, again, is probably the Verter Prey might be the most used ship in all of Star Trek besides Enterprise. Oh yeah, big oh, time. Yeah. And plus agree? two, it was uh, just from a you know from in story kind of universe. It was a it was a ship that was in service for like like over a hundred years. Like they yeah. Klingons got a lot of life out of those uh, <laughs> those uh, those Bird of Preys. And it's and, a ship. Uh, it's it's a ship that became that you know became famous by abstinence or by luck i mean the, initially in star trek 3 the script was originally supposed to be romulans who were trying to get the secret to the genesis device and so that ship and that name was initially meant to be a romulan ship wow yeah so they just they decided not to change the name they figured well the klingons and the romulans we they'd already established in tos have a relationship and since the, they're sharing technology we can stick with the name bird of prey and we'll keep the 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 klingon ship painted with a you know a, a bird of prey underneath with the orange the orange paint to make it look like a bird um and uh but initially that the the idea was that uh, in Star Trek Three, the Search of Spock, that they were going to be Romulans and not Klingons. Now on the on the Bird of Prey, um, I remember having uh, one of the toy. I I don't remember what the brand name of it was, but back in the eighties, um, I had a uh, a Klingon Bird of Prey that was fairly to scale, and I mean it was pretty awesome and made all sorts of cool sounds and everything. But as I recall, do the wings move on that? Yes. Yeah, they, yes. they 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 they're they're flat straight out when it's cruising, and then they drop down when they're going into attack. Correct. Yeah, the right. interesting thing I was reading was was apparently the um, uh, originally when they had the uh, the studio model, um, yeah. 
the mo the, the motors were uh, kind of um, tricky to work. So a lot of times they um they didn't move them a lot in in some of the um you know earlier series like in in the next generation or they didn't move them a lot because it like it just was a it was really difficult and motors never really worked. Interesting. So okay. a lot of the shots of the bird of prey early on uh the the wings stayed fairly static and then when they moved to cgi they had more flexibility to move the wings back up and down that's pretty cool my my well first of all let's talk about the bird of prey great design you guys like it oh yeah yeah i like it it's a it's a cool chip um i guess i'll just throw a a couple um tech facts here about it it's a 110 10 meters um they say varies Dep- depending de- we'll get to that in a second because yeah. that's my yeah. biggest beef with these ships yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh decks they say approximately five again varies and then a crew of 12 to 36 so they say they it could be i guess obviously it can be manned by a lot fewer as we saw in uh, star trek uh four yeah and then um Warp 9.8 is the maximum observed. Uh, photon torpedo launchers, fore and aft, uh, two disruptor cannons and phasers, plus deflector shields and a cloaking device. Wow. Yes. Yeah, I mean, when, when you know, it's so funny. I, I rewatched Star Trek Three this weekend because it's on Netflix and HD now, and I just popped it on. And beautiful looking. No, oh, it's it, it is. It's a beautiful model. It was a you know it was a it was a practical model, and it it looks it. And what's so the, my one issue with the with the with the bird of prey over time is that e- and even in Star Trek the motion picture, its scale is constantly changing. When you look at when you look at the bird of prey uh, in terms of its design, and you figure, well, the, if this is the command center up here on the front where they fire the photon torpedoes, then it's got the neck and then the the body with the engines and the wings and everything. It does seem to be a relatively small ship. I mean, you can see that it's maybe not that big. It's more of a scout. And even Chekhov refers to it as a scout-class kind of ship. So you assume it's going to be smaller than the Enterprise. Then when the Enterprise arrives <laughs> at the Genesis planet and Krug and, and, and they, they, they fire at it and they, they hit it and then Krug re- attacks and, and disables the Enterprise, there's a shot of the Enterprise and the Bird of Prey standing nose-to-nose and you are looking from the perspective behind the Enterprise in the in the foreground and the bird of prey in the background and the bird of prey looks gigantic yeah it, looks it does like it's, it's bigger than the enterprise yeah and then later in star trek was it i guess it was was it in three or was it in four when they are when they're getting back on the bird of prey to go back to earth and they've renamed it bounty they show a scene with the with the ramp dropped and the, them walking on it and there's no way it's it was oh, that yeah. big yeah. it's like small again and then in ds9 T- well, not so much in TNG, maybe. Well, no, in TNG too, they made that ship all sorts of sizes. It just would never made any sense. It was either huge, it was small. Maybe they yeah. had. Maybe it was like Apple, and they had minis and regulars. And... Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. In, I think in canon, that's the way they tried to sort of play it off. That's they funny. Their classes, yeah. That's hilarious. And yeah, yeah like you... say, really plus two for its size. It really shouldn't have been. Uh... You know, at least in next generation, really, it shouldn't have even been able to um, really pose much of a threat to uh, like a galaxy class starship at all. Right. And like I say, they they do talk a little bit about some of the Klingon ships and how they match up. You know, they match up. Um, you know, apparently the Klingon ship actually, even though it's it's slightly less powerful than a Jemadar fighter, apparently it matches up quite well to right. a Jemadar ship. And uh, but uh, to some of the other, like some of the the. Like say it's more meant to take on like a, like like um, like a, a reliant type kind of 
type of ship, the Miranda class type yeah. ship. That's there. That's more in its scale than taking on a on a starship. Right. But they keep on, like, say they keep on throwing it in uh, these these different situations. And like my viewpoint, like just like you, Brian, like say a thing looks big sometimes, smaller some other times. I I view it as kind of a smaller kind of scout slash kind of fighter type kind of ship. I don't really view it with much size to it. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's kind of more fun that way. I mean, even though there have been oh my gosh, I mean in in DS9 and TNG there were so many episodes that actually. I mean, if the ones with Worf and his son when he came back and joined the Klingon military, and they were they were serving on a on a bird of prey, they were like, you know, there's mess halls and there's oh, they it looks like a big ship. I mean, they're wandering all over the place. But I always felt like it, I always liked the idea of the bird of prey being uh, twenty or thirty guys sleeping on stacked on top of each other in like a tiny closet of a room. I mean, really like a submarine, you know, like a real. Like a like a like a real cramped kind of enclosed environment, and it yeah. smells bad, and it's it's like dark and it's smoky. I always loved that kind of idea of what the what what, what life on a bird of prey would be like. Well, yeah, I, exactly. I, it's never... a, one kind of one. All it does is it's it's just kind of it's just meant for like scouting and and battle. Well, there's no right. I loved no it. Comforts of home. I loved it in TNG when Riker did the exchange program. That's and we, right. That we got too, right? we got to see the 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 mess hall and uh, you know more of the bridge. That was awesome. And then of course uh, when Picard and Data were being transported in the Bird of Prey, that uh, you know had a cloaking device uh, that they got from Galron uh, in the the one with. Um, reunification uh-huh. that episode i love seeing the quarters and the fact that they didn't have any pillows or blankets or right it was just like this it's, it's metal sheet yeah it's a slab <laughs> and, and picard's trying to sleep and data's staring at him it yeah. was it was awesome <laughs> it's right, so, just so great before we leave the klingons a quick mention of the uh Vorcha class because i guess that's really the only main class of klingon ship that came afterwards right yeah that's the uh, kind of um yeah the 24th century type uh Kind of alternate almost to the, uh, to almost to the I guess the battle cruiser I guess it's that's a their, nice ship too. It looks yeah, like a kinda, giant kinda, taser. Yeah, it's kind of their it's their galaxy class I guess for lack of a better it's word. Pretty Unlike, darn cool looking. Uh, yeah, I always I always you know Playmates actually Jeff. Do you remember that they made a? Um, a yeah, I do. Class? Yeah, they did. So they, they, actually, like, um, Jeff, on, I, I want to thank you for. Um, your purchase of the the new artist island uh bird of prey i got one of those too and it's awesome <laughs> so yeah folks if you are looking for a collectible of the bird of prey if that's, that's your favorite klingon ship art asylum has made a really really nice model of that for display that has lights and sounds and stuff and it's not even that i mean was it 40 bucks 50 bucks yeah it's not that expensive and they got a Depending on what uh, configuration you you want, they've got uh, they've got it in a few different configurations. They've got like some in the kind of the cloaked uh, the the cloak, so it's kind of a clear plastic. Yeah, I'm not too jazzed about that, but uh, some people might might like that. I think they have a totally clear Comic Con version. I think. But uh, I'm not sure if it has electronics or not. But it looked really clear. Like yeah, they did a nice job with that. That was a really nice model. Yeah, it was a nice. They did a nice job on that that ship. Actually, that Vorcha class. Um, yeah. Uh, is if you um, just recently um, the the fellow from Trek's work Trekworks uh, uh-huh. YouTube channel, he actually just built a a Vorcha class uh, 
ship. So if anyone's like interested in looking at a model of that done nicely and all lit up, just go check out the the Trekworks. Um, well, that that YouTube particular channel. ship, the Vorcha class, is that's more practical when you look at it. As far as yeah, I'm it's concerned, beefy. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It they like put the bridge, ship. they put the, the the command part in the middle of the ship. Yeah, and they've got all this arm, armament on the front that's just awesome. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and then it's got a cool little thing up. I don't know if it's a a separate battle bridge or what they do. I don't know what the the top part is in the back, but pretty awesome looking ship. Yeah, I know it is. It's a, it's a it beefy, was a very cool design. Yeah, it was designed by uh, Rick Sternbach, who uh, who worked a lot on Star Trek and designed yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah, he did. His, his name will come up a lot. So are there any of the Klingon ships that are, are really of note that we... Uh... Uh, I think we've uh, we've talked about... Uh, we really covered the Klingon. I think we spent most of our time on the Klingons. <laughs> well, they, 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 they are important. So let's go to the next, yeah. the next important ones. The Romulans. Ah... We'll start off with the uh, Romulan. Uh, the Romulan uh, was it Romulan bird of prey? Yeah, because I'm trying to think. In Enterprise, we saw a Romulan ship, and what did they? Did, didn't they call it a bird of prey? Didn't the, yeah, it was called it? the bird of prey. It's the 22nd right. century. Uh, if you look on the um, the link that we uh, that I sent you, the 22nd uh, yeah, century 22nd version century, one. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it kind of looks, looks the familiar, same. Yeah. 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 More green than the uh Yeah, very green. <laughs> yeah. Now here's here's a ship that certainly was you know, based on the episode that it appeared in. Yeah. When you think about it, I mean, because I mean I talked about a, the birder the birder Klingon birder price being a submarine. Truly this was a submarine when it was shown in Balance of Terror because yeah. you have you know, you have Mark Leonard and the Romulan crew they're not sitting at stations, looking at screens, pushing buttons. They're huddled around a central command area, yeah. st- like staring into these, like these little hooded viewers, almost like periscopes. Yeah, you're like periscope and, up. Yeah, and, yeah. and you, you you get that you get that vibe that they're on this tiny little ship, and that was the thing. Even though in in Balance of Terror, there was never it was never sh- uh, the 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 Romulan bird of prey was never shown in proximity to the Enterprise to give you any sense of scale, you always got the impression that the ship was very small, you know, and it was it was just it was it was like maneuvering around the Enterprise cloaked and the you know the Enterprise didn't know where it was and the Enterprise is dropping, you know, photon torpedoes out to try and <laughs> try and sink it like depth charges. I mean such a great episode. Um, and the fact that they actually spent so much time you know, just not only designing the ship, and and the way that the original Bird of Prey was designed is it certainly is so, almost reminiscent of the Federation ships in that it has two nacelles with little balls in the front. You sort of have, and, and you know, with struts coming out, so it almost has that same sort of vibe. But the fact that they took the time to paint that that bird underneath, and then. They never even mentioned the episode, but the idea was that, you know, this was something that the Romulans would use to terrorize people. When they would attack them, they, they would be cloaked and then they would appear and their victims, before they were destroyed by their plasma weapon, all they would see was this, this red bird, flame, this flaming bird coming at them. I mean, it must have been, it was such a great idea and it's such a great concept that never, never was explained in the series. But, you know, we were left with this really iconic ship with this great backstory that we can sort of talk about and really enjoy. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like you say, like say, just kind of, you don't see anything. And then all of a sudden <laughs> something appears, it's a bird, you know, you know, got that plasma kind of burst your torpedo right. coming at it, you. And it then, has this weapon. That's like, that's yeah. like this glowing plasma that, and you can't escape it. it. And, and it's relentless. It comes at you and the music's playing and it's coming and Kirk's trying to warp away, but you can't get away fast enough. And it's just so great. It was very much so. Yeah, just looking at the, I'm just looking at some pictures of the studio model, and uh, like you say, Brian, it's got a very uh, Starfleet type um, kind of vibe to it. It's kind of yeah. got, you know, like yeah. got the nacelles on both sides, and then the, uh, you know, kind of a kind of almost a saucer type section in in the middle. One of the interesting things I was reading while doing my research was that apparently. Um, and you'll see this across a lot of the ships that uh, Gene Roddenberry was very specific that um, that all these ships in the Star Trek universe they could have they couldn't have one engine they couldn't have three engines they had to be like you know kind of even numbered engines they had to have like two engines and also too they had to be in a in a somewhat of a configuration that that um, both of them kind of were could connect to each other I guess in a sense so it could create like this kind of this warp field. Right. In a sense, and he was there. Uh-huh. I guess he's very, very particular on it. That, yeah, I've, I've that, heard that as well. Yeah, yeah. That that that. Nope, you couldn't have a one-engine ship in in the Star Trek universe. It had to be it had to be a two, two-engine ship, and like say the the you know both engines had to kind of be parallel to each other and and not blocked in a sense because you can't even you can't even see that with the Bird of Prey that the that that their engines or their nacelles are kind of sort of lifted above. Yeah, they're the, higher uh, up. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's so it's so. And this is another um, model that AMT made that was just spot on. It was there's such a great, great, great kit. I made this. I made this one a couple times as a kid, and I used to love this one. I always screwed up the the Bird of Prey decal, though. I never really? got it to line you up. Could never right. get it to line up. <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, maybe if you tried it now, they've got so much, so many good uh, solutions and all that kind of stuff. But. I know. Either that or just um, did they come in parts or did was it all just yeah one it was like it was one it was one for the belly one for the wing one for the nacelle there was like a couple different ones so it was the whole thing yeah and I was I when I, as a kid I always screwed it up and it's funny this is actually a kit I've remade as you guys know I've made you know big enterprises to you know the one three fifty scales and I've made a Katinga before I got the one from Steve and I've made a Reliant. I and I've made smaller one one thousand scale enterprises and and D sevens. I've I have never gone back and rebuilt the AMT Romulan ship, and I know they've reissued it not too long ago, so it's available and it's not that expensive. So that's definitely one I should I should take a look at and take. It, it's an easy kit. I mean, it's like it's like five pieces to put together. Yeah, it's there's like not that. a lot of parts there. No, uh-huh. probably be not that there probably wouldn't even be that much. Even if a person wanted to light it up, there'd probably not not much. Uh, work in lighting it either i don't think yeah. no it'd be an e- it'd definitely be an easy one and, and and again just like with the d7 um in tos the original bird of prey was not a lit model even though the nacelles were clear and could be could be lit on film they never were you never actually saw them like brightly glowing as as the ship was firing on the enterprise it's all it's always kind of dark um and you know it, it, what's cool about the bird of prey in terms of having the bird painted on the bottom is that that sort of carried over. Yeah, I, I wonder when looking at the, the characters and the helmets they wore, the Romulans, that 
you know, they almost look like hawks. Their helmets almost look like they're almost like like a like a bird. When you look at the at the Balance of Terror, those helmets they wear look like a bird bird helmet. That I wonder if that was intentional. That there was something about the the Romulan culture that they sort of in their minds they had worship birds, or for some reason this was something important to them. Yeah, like say you bring up bring up a good point because yeah, like say they did have those helmets, and then uh-huh. even their uniforms to to a certain point had. To, well, if you if you if you look at the next or... generation, um, um, which which one is it? Is it the one that uh, was it Nemesis? What where's the that, which one starts one off Ron- where they're on that, Romulus and the that's yeah Nemesis yeah yeah, yeah. Romulus, and if you look at their Williams, architecture yeah. and the stuff that they were showing when you pan down to onto Romulan or Romulus, there's lots of birds involved there. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, on all that stuff. So so, it, so clearly it was an inten- it was an it was an intentional thing, and then. Uh, so then, you know, we go from this little this little ship that has this incredibly powerful weapon and this incredibly uh, technologically advanced cloaking device, but not a lot of speed and not a lot of shielding. So it's easy to take out if you can hit it, but it's tough to hit. To TNG, and the Romulans have the biggest freaking ships in the galaxy. Oh man! <laughs> and they're yeah, cool that thing, looking. Like, uh, was it? it's they're called huge. a? Uh, it's a D. Dederix class uh, B type warbird, which yeah, is give, a, give us the specs on that bad boy. That thing is uh, forty five decks. Um, <laughs> wow! It's got uh, I guess it's, it can do warp six under cloak. Warp nine is served, but if they do warp nine point six, it'll cause damage to their propulsion system. So, and uh, they got disrupt- disruptor arrays, phasers, photon torpedo launchers. Uh, deflector shields and a cloaking device, and like I say, this thing is a one big, big mamma jamma. This thing is yeah, I mean, oh man. It's, it, what's cool about it is, and what I think was was an, a, a great choice um, in TNG is that, as much as you know, we look at the Klingons as the warrior culture, they're 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 like primitives next to the Romulans. The Romulans are so much more sophisticated, so much more advanced, and and aggressive about or aggressive about defending their territory and defending against enemies they're paranoid they're like paranoid schizophrenics who are geniuses right so they would build the ultimate battleship i mean they they don't build a galaxy class ship with families running around that looks all nice and comfortable where you want to spend a vacation they and they don't build these clunky bird of prey katinga class kind of ships that the klingons run around on they build these badass Diedrich's class warbirds that are just monsters and are are you know purely weapons of destruction. Man, and that's and, and you remember the first time you saw that on screen on TNG? Totally. Uh, I do. <laughs> I completely do. That was it's my favorite ship out of all the ships. Oh, and, is it really? Yeah, it is. I I I love it when the uh, when it lights up. I mean, with uh-huh. the green glow from it, and yep. it's just the cool that oval design where there's a opening in it and stuff, but it's connected. I don't know. There's yeah. just something about it. I always thought it was really cool. It looks like a, you know, like there's a helmet on the front of it, and uh-huh. I just, it's a, it's a wonderful ship. And whoever came up with it, I don't know who did, but fantastic. It was built by a fellow named uh, Greg Jine. I guess he built some. Oh, Greg uh, Jine, yeah, he, yeah, he Greg, built a lot of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I guess they only had they only had three weeks to come up with it. Too, really? So, yeah, they. You know, they sure worked fast back in those days. Like uh, this model still exists. It was sold at the Christie's auction. I know that. Wow. Yeah. And I, I'm not. I don't know if it ended up in um, Paul Allen's museum up in Seattle. Have, have you gone to that museum? Yes, Rick? I have twice, three times. So is Jeff. 
Yeah, I've oh, been you guys there have. Is, is that yeah. there, or do you do you not remember? I don't remember. Uh, seeing I it. don't think I saw it there when yeah. I was there. Okay, I would have so remembered you. if I would have saw that. I, I didn't see that. Yeah, it definitely, it's definitely out there somewhere. Somebody bought it, but um, yeah, very, very cool design. And you know, it, and and a practical model with with. I'm looking at a photograph of the of that front command section, and when you say 45 decks, and you can see how small these windows are. I mean, this thing is huge. It's, it's like it's like taking the primary hull of the Enterprise D and flipping it vertical, and then like making and that those are all the decks. I mean, it's just so big. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, like and I, it, I've, and I've watched it, some people actually build these models, and uh, when they light them, and it's just like. It's a lot of drilling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I bet it is because there's so many windows. But you know, the nice thing about this ship too was it was, it 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 seemed like when the Enterprise was facing off with it that it could do some damage. Oh, and so yeah, that's I, that's I, why it was I scary assumed, and yeah, cool. I that that this ship was more than a match for a Galaxy class ship. Absolutely, all day for sure. So when Tomalak yeah. would make his threats and everything, I always took him serious because. It's like, dude, yeah. you could just blow these guys away if you wanted. Yeah, anytime one of these ships showed up, it was just like, I, I, it was no easy. It wasn't a no easy picnic for, uh, you know, Federation for like the, the Enterprise or, or whoever. Like, say that, you know, you were in. You know, top. And, and you know, it's so great the way the Romulans were portrayed in TNG is they were so freaking smug. I just love the Romulans. Oh, completely so arrogant. Smart Alex. Yeah. <laughs> they were yeah. So great. Well, and and I remember they had that uh, episode of TNG called the Defector, where uh, the Romulan commander defects, yep. and uh -huh. so the big the big uh, big uh, Romulan warbird is chasing down that little shuttle. That little shuttle, but the little shuttle was way cool looking. Yeah, it was. It, it looked like a little mini warbird. <laughs> yeah, it was really neat, and yeah. and then of course being totally devastated when it blew up over it on the side, I was like, oh man. <laughs> You're not going to get any of the secrets out of it, and that's it. I mean, we haven't seen. I mean, in Deep Space Nine, they no. still had Warbirds, yeah. and in Voyager, so we, I mean, we haven't seen any change in design since that that uh, since the Warbirds. So it'd be interesting to see if in uh, New Trek we ever get to see more Klingon ships and uh, more Romulan ships. Well, I we mean, do I get mean, to see the mining vessels in the in the new movie. Yeah, but I mean, they they. Which is something that really always bugged me because I mean, like, so here's you know here's Nero with this with this mining ship that is so ginormous and so powerful, but yeah. and then there's this whole backstory, I guess, where he he retrofitted it and it's not really the same mining. Yeah, ship. Yeah, customized like, everything. Yeah, right. So that was the, I mean, I was like, oh my gosh. And then and then I have to say, I mean, they were kind of cool, but I wasn't super like excited to see those small. Um, Klingon warbirds that were shown in uh, Into Darkness. I thought they, they were fine, but they were small. They were little ships. I would have much rather have seen the new Trek universe version of a D7. That's what I wanted. Maybe to see. we'll get that the next movie. I hope. I hope to see something like that because that would, that would have been very cool. Yeah, I love the Klingons in the in the new in the newer movie. Yeah, they were they were that, you know that was that was uh, Tony Todd who played that. Was Klingon. it really? That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah, it was Tony Todd. So it's war so replicated bird he's meat. Been, he's been Worf's brother, Kern. Yeah, that's my and favorite of his. He's been, and he's been old Jake Sisko. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but that was him. They asked him back, and he played that role. He's been on Twenty Four too, and a couple of other things I've seen him in. And he's the Candy Man. Oh, that's right. 
candy bars. <laughs> anyway, so Cardassians. Cardassians. Boo. I guess we'll talk about the uh, the Galar class. Uh, Starship is the. Which is really is. Is there anything other than Galar class that we see? There's there's others, but I think that's more. The Galar class seems to be the one which is the. The most common. The most common, the one that comes up the the most often. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and having, like I said, having having just rewatched all of Deep Space Nine from stem to stern, kind of a weird looking ship. I, mean, I guess I could see where they're they're kind of going with kind of a manta ray kind of look, and maybe because the card the Cardies have that uh, to use a disparaging Cardassian referral, uh, they have the you know the neck ridges. So maybe they, maybe the Cardassians look like kind of a manta ray kind of thing. Or I think they were supposed guys? to be more like lizards, and I don't like the ship. I I, yeah. I always thought it was it looked rushed. It looked like man, we got to get a we got to get a ship of the week out there, and that's what they went with afterwards. I didn't like it. You're totally, you're totally right, and yet when you look at the model itself, there's a lot going on. So it's like, really? I mean, you spent, you obviously spent some time, right? And right. That's the design, and, and that's what you came, you came up with. Up. Yeah, yeah, it's just kind of like, eh. I don't know. They, it looks like they, they never... took a frisbee, they took a cone, and put it on the top part, and a frisbee on the back. <laughs> yeah, it just it... never looked impressive. It never looked tough. It never looked. It never looked as 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 mean as the Cardassians could be, and I I always feel like the ships. I think I think we sort of have have touched upon this with both the Romulans and the Klingons that the ships kind of reflect the people. Yeah. And and again, getting back to my my original comment when we started the podcast is that you know these the, that the ships are characters and reflective of the of the people that crew them mm-hmm. and of of their characters of their motivations and become yeah. part of the story and they inform the story. Yeah. When I look at the Cardassian ships, I'm it doesn't like, do that. I mean, the Ferengis look, which we'll get to, look like they could kick their ass. I yeah. mean, come on, yeah. these, these yeah. ships don't look that, that, that tough. And yet Cardassians are very tough. Right. Well, I mean, you think of, of our favorite Dukat, that, that's an awesome character, but it right. doesn't look like he should get on that ship at all. No, <laughs> you're right. Jeff, what, what are the, what were the, the technical specs of the Gaylor? Uh, not a lot here. Uh, warp eight. Uh, was it big, how long were they? Pardon me? You know, how long? How big were they? Uh, it doesn't say here. I'm looking, but uh, they don't got the uh, they don't got yeah, the, the the length on that. Oh, they say um, they say they got it at um, oh what here size uh, uh 366 is, meters, something like that. 1200 feet. Oh, that's pretty long. Because yeah. yeah. the isn't the Enter- the Enterprise is only supposed to be. 1200 feet long right yeah. the, uh, not, when i say the enterprise i mean the original d or the original e the original enterprise the refit or was a thousand feet or 900 and something yeah the technical manual here here i got some information on the technical manual um yeah they they've got it at uh the dimensions at 378 371.8188 meters uh beam 192.33 meters and height of 59 meters uh Warp nine point six observed, and a crew of three hundred. Okay, so. so to put so so to put it in context, a, a crowded ship not much bigger than uh, an, a, a Katinga class, so it would be right in that that sort of size. Yeah. So again, yeah. I, I think it's probably kind of a purpose-built ship, and 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 they're not not like the you know the the NCC seventeen hundred one D, which does many different things. This one is probably like just a just warship, right? Warship, yeah. 
That's interesting. So, because I, I, I was, I never quite understood how big they were supposed to be. And I, I, and is it the only ship in in DS9 that we ever see of the Cardassians? Uh, I, I think we might see a. Did they have a? Oh, I found it. That this freighter, this uh, Grumal type yeah. freighter, but that was in what episode? That's that in. Oh, that was in a Voyager episode. The drone. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So I don't even remember that one. So the yeah, Gaylor, I, the Gaylor class is really the main the main ship of Cardassia. They have yeah, a ton I, ton I, listed on the you know, they have a ton listed that they had maybe from the books and maybe the right. the lore and the and the you know that kind of stuff. But we really only I think saw the the is it Galler is that how you say it? Yeah, I think you're right. It's not Galler. Galler. Galler class. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Not a very you know, cool ship, according to nope. me. No, so it was never Frang- a fair. Let's, let's talk about the Frangius, because, I mean, they, they got one ship, but it's a nice one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, see, I didn't like it. You didn't? No. Come on. It looks like, it looks like a bug. It. it looks like a bug with the, the big man. It does. It does. It, but but to me, it looks, it looks, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's too smooth, and it's kind of weird, and I don't know. It always looked like a shoehorn. Okay, well, I mean, but let's give it some love. In so far as right, that okay. was one of the one of the earliest ships in in TNG. Yeah, so yeah. it was you know it was a, it was a ship because the Frankie initially when they were introduced in TNG they weren't like the bumbling well not bumbling but the commerce you know right you know, uh, they were supposed uh, to be platinum yeah you know yeah they were all they, they were much more aggressive and they were yeah. much more scary yes the they were <laughs> <laughs> and they're they're much poorly acted and oh, overacted <laughs> human <laughs> but the marauder classes were cool do you have any of the specs on the marauder class chef because i'm because it always it always seemed to me like a big ship it seemed like it was real big yeah. they don't have a lot they say there's a crew complement of uh 450 so obviously it's uh it's probably uh it's really it's that this. big well i think the d the d is a thousand right isn't it a thousand with um isn't there a thousand people on the d sure yeah something like that yeah it's a big ship so so and it always looked it definitely looked it always looked big to me whenever when, when especially when it first showed up going you know square you know toe to toe with the enterprise d in that episode when they were first introduced it always i mean it looked to me like a really big ship and I, you know did, did they make a model of this jeff did anyone i believe ever? they i know they've made some smaller size models of it you know they'd have those three packs yeah, made smaller ones. I'm not sure if they've ever made. If a they made a big one, they could one. just put a steel plate on the bottom. You can iron or close with it. <laughs> it look doesn't well, it look like a giant Microsoft yeah. mouse. It, it well, because yeah, it does have that big bulb. I'm looking at a picture of the back of it, and you're right, Rick. It it definitely is. It's, I it, like big ships, and back. I cannot lie. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It, it, I, I'm so used to looking at it from the front, which looks really menacing right. with those like two mandibles, and then. But you're right; it definitely has a big fat butt. But it's it. it you know, it's funny actually looking at it. It kind of looks a little uh, D7ish. It's got like two like sort yeah. of curves yeah. down. Yeah. And you got yeah. like nacelles on the wingtips. And, and then again, the look at look at the back of a Ferengi's head. It looks like a butt. It does. It does. And down so if you, it, 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 it is designed <laughs> after them. They yeah. say here that it, they've kind of took a little bit of inspiration um, from a horseshoe crab with oh, this. Oh, interesting. It looks like so, a, Yeah, it does look like a horseshoe crab. You're right. It yeah, like- I guess another thing, too, is like the back part of the ship, you know, since Fer- Ferengis are kind of, um, you know, kind of traitors. Yeah. Um, 
Actually, a, a lot of the back part of the ship is actually um, storage for uh, them. Platinum and their loot. Yeah, yeah for trading steal and, stuff. and loot and, and things like that. So it does. If you look at the starboard profile picture, it looks just like a horseshoe crab, except it go, a horseshoe crab would be going the other way. So the head of a horseshoe crab is the back part, and then its tail comes out the back is the, is the command part. So it's like it's, it's the opposite, but I can totally see that. That makes sense. Kind of an interesting thing, too, I was reading was, uh, let me see here if I can find it. Uh, let me find it. Um, Their shuttlecraft is goofy. Well, it kind of looks like them. It does. It does. Well, it kind of looks like a staple remover or something. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll find this interesting. I was reading through some of the information. Like, say, this thing um, this thing got auctioned off a, a few years ago, back in 2006. The, uh, yeah, that was, it, it got auctioned off at Christie's, yeah. Yeah, and then I guess um, Richard Long, who's on the uh, replica prop form, he was commissioned to repair it, I guess. Oh, that's cool. Cracks in it and things like that. Yeah, that's really cool. Richard Long actually is someone that um, uh, my friend here in um, in Arizona knows who does um, – he makes uh, phasers. He used to work for Roddenberry.com or before it was Roddenberry.com. I forget what they called uh, when when Gene's wife oh, – why am I blanking on her name? Major oh, Roddenberry. Major, Major Barrett, thank you. Yeah. Major Barrett, Barrett was still Barrett, alive. Yeah. She and, she and Gene and they had a, a store and they sh they sold replicas, and John Long did a lot of the Richard Coyle. I'm just kind of spacing Richard's name. So Richard Coyle is a prop maker here in in Phoenix, who worked on Star Trek back starting at the motion picture. He made the he actually made the tricorders for the uh, and the communicators for Star Trek um, three. He designed those. He helped design the the phasers for Star Trek three. Um, but anyway, uh, he. He knew he knows John Long, and John has had a long history with them. So, d did John buy it, or was John just hired to? Fix oh, Richard it up? Long. Yeah, he yeah. was. Uh, uh, someone bought it and then commissioned him to uh, fix gotcha. it, and then they allowed him to make some molds, I guess, of it. All right, that's very cool. Yeah, it, 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 it is a. It's it's a neat. I, I always thought it was a neat design. It does. You know, what it looks like it kind of looks like the Warbirds, but a little bit more. Flat. Round, yeah, around, yeah, yeah. Like a, like, well, well, okay. So it does remind me a little bit of the what you would know what kind of uh, race car I'm talking about, Jeff. The ones that are low to the ground in the. Yeah, it's like an Indy car. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of more like that, yeah. even though, yeah, even though the Ferengi didn't really match the ship. Well, they kind of did. They're back. Yeah. Anyway, but and then don't we? The only other time we see anything Ferengi is a shuttle. Yeah, that's the only that's the only other one we see. Yeah, and we saw that in um, Voyager and in uh, uh, I think we might have even seen it in Enterprise when they took over the ship, but we didn't know they were Ferengis. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So yeah, if anyone's interested, the the Ferengi it's called the Decor Class Marauder, which is, mm -hmm. is the the proper proper uh, terminology for this popular Ferengi ship. Damon Bach. Damon. Vulcans. Oh yeah. Vulcans. Now Vulcans. this this was an interesting thing with the Vulcans. To me, we really didn't see a whole lot of Vulcan ships. Nope. Okay, so Rick, what was the first that Vulcan I can... ship <sighs> ever shown in Star Trek? I think it was on Reunification <laughs> when they were coming no oh, <laughs> bummer. It wasn't nope. huh? Je uh, Je Jeff, what was the first Vulcan ship? ever shown 
I'm gonna say that uh, Vulcan shuttle that we saw in uh, motion picture. Ding 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 ding. You're right. Ah. The the Surak class shuttle, which. When you think about it, for something that has such a limited amount of screen time, a lot of love and care went into that model. That's a beautiful little model that they made for just a brief little scene. Where Which, one a, is it? Which one is it called on the thing? I want to look at it. It's called a Surak class. I'm, oh, I'm looking at the um, – uh, it's probably a Vulcan civilian transport on the – nope, that's not it. Hold on. I'm looking at the same Wikipedia site. Oh, okay. Um, it was called the Surak class. Oh, here, here. It's under S continued on the right, Rick. Okay. Surak class. Oh, no, that's not it either. That's oh. the main. That's one from Enterprise. Hmm. It was. Jeff, do you remember what they. What, what, did they call it something else? I mean, the shuttle itself was called the Surak. It says on the side it's called the Surak, but. Yeah, I'm trying to think of it here, Brian. What they. they there's a proper term for it uh yeah so i mean so so everyone listening you 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 you, you guys remember that there's a it's a basically like a a sled body with two long beautiful nacelles underneath with a with a basically a, a little shuttle pod attached to the top and it arrives at the enterprise to deliver a spock from vulcan okay i remember and right now yeah it detaches and does this beautiful rot- rotation maneuver and yeah. then docks to the back of the um, of the bridge module where they have a docking port. That was awesome. Refit- yeah, it was, it was a great, great scene and a beautiful, beautiful little model yeah. that, again, is one that I think sold at the Christie's auction because it, it survived and was still around. Oh, here, Vulcan Shuttle. Is that what it's called, Vulcan Shuttle? Oh, God, no, that's not another. No. Oh, my gosh, how come I can't find this? Isn't that yeah, weird? I can't find it, too. Uh... It, uh... Well, anyway, that's that was the, you know the first Vulcan designed ship, and I wonder I wonder if at all if in any way, shape, or form it informed any of the other designs. I I, I kind of guess not because they don't look like anything the same. No, I don't, and I don't think we see another Vulcan ship until Enterprise. Yeah, and like say that's so where I, we saw most of the Vulcan ships is really just in the Enterprise, really. Mm-hmm. Well, we see no. We saw some in Next Generation that I was talking about when they uh, in reunification because remember they were stolen Vulcan Vulcan ships from that one shipyard. Oh, and then right. all the trans and they and they were transporting the troops in them. So we did right. see them, and they were kind of around, like a like a circular thing around a cone, kind of. Yes, you're right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because yeah. that's what I remember seeing them first, and I don't remember seeing a whole lot of other ones than that. But but now that you say it. I didn't realize that was a Vulcan ship that was transporting Spock. I didn't realize that yep. in the motion picture. Yeah. I thought that Starfleet was just bringing him out there. Yep. No, that's that's a, that's a great point. I've got. Let me see if I can find even a picture of that Vulcan transports. Yeah, they're but here. You're right. That's. I that, think I they, saw them. They had those. I think I looked at them already, but uh, Vulcan. Well, trans- so let's just let's touch upon the the Surak, the S U U R O K class, because okay. the ones in the ones the ship in the motion picture was called Surak S U R A K. I don't know if it was okay. meant to be the same Surak of Vulcan who was their their spiritual logic leader from way back when, or if it was named after Spock's father, <laughs> who was Sarek. But but I mean, I, I'm not sure how they pronounce it. But the Surak classes of ships which we see in Enterprise are are really, really nice. Yeah, they're nice. They got a big kind of uh what is it? Looks like some sort of ring ring around them and uh... that's the, that's their nacelle. I always took yeah. that, that that's their warp nacelle and the ship is like sit situated in, 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 the, in middle. the middle of it. It's really neat looking, isn't it? Yeah, no, I th- I think it's a it's elegant 
And it's kind of, again, it, it, it informs the character of the Vulcans. It speaks to them. It's yeah. very, it's very elegant. It's very symmetrical. It's very smooth. It's very Zen. And you think yeah. of the Vulcans as being kind of this Zen culture of meditation and peace and harmony and their ship should reflect that. And it does with these shapes and these forms. Yeah. Cause if you look at the, the Dekir type, um, uh, starship as well. Uh, it also has got that kind of that circular type kind of a propulsion unit as well too. Yeah, so when did we see these? These are all in enterprise. Oh, they are. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Like you say, a lot of the ships we saw, a lot of these ones we saw were in enterprise. Yeah. And I was I mean, surprised since we, we had Spock and you did, had a few Vulcans in the original series and, and, uh, quite a bit, but you never really saw any of their ships. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they never went. They're, they're always bumming rides off everyone Starfleet, else. Starfleet, yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to San Francisco and ride their stuff and get killed in transporter accidents. <laughs> so I guess that's really it for the Vulcans, right? Yeah. Is, anything else you can think of, Jeff? No, nothing else I can think of. Okay. So we'll move on to the uh, Dominion. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, man. The Dominion is really the uh, Jemadar, really. Yes. Yeah. And cool, cool, oh, cool ships. Absolutely way cool. Yep. Totally cool. Somebody was thinking a lot about okay, now how do we make our fans really happy? Yeah, let's I make mean, these really you know crazy awesome battleships. Yeah, I mean from their battle their battleships to battle cruisers to the fighters that look like scarabs. I mean, yeah. they're just so so great looking. And you can tell that everything it's even in even though the Kling, Klingons it didn't really look. I mean, they look like battle cruisers, yes. But when you look at a Dominion ship, that's that's serious, man. I mean, they're going to yeah. kick some butt. That's what they're yep. going to do. And yep. I, did, I like how they, when they fired their weapons, aren't they the ones that had kind of like these pulses? Where it was like a choo, 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 yeah. like that. When they yeah. fired, when yes, fire, yes, it looked yes. like the Defiance phasers. Yeah, it yeah. reminded me of, of, of back in the day of when video games were first coming out, when if you held down the button a certain way, it would do right. continuous fire. Yep. And that's what it reminded me of when I saw it come out of the, the Dominion ship. I was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, they are very, very neat. What are the what, what, Jeff? Do you have some of the particulars on some of the Dominion ships? Yeah, Jemadar fighter um, yeah. is uh, if it's sub ninety meters. It um, crew complement of one Vorta and forty two Jemadar. Remember, you always had to have a Vorta with the with Jemadar. None, white. So could, none of whom were sitting. White. I've yeah. one stands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you that's gotta, right. And their view screens are on their on their little tiny uh, glasses, screen. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you gotta you have that porta there to kind of uh, ration out the uh, the the white there. So uh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> then they had uh, phase Our polaron beams, serve. disruptors, torpedoes, energy dissipators, and then deflector shields. I so, like to say these things were these things are uh, real. Um, and we got a few more things here. Um, the Star Trek Deep Space Nine technical manual. He's got they got a few different. Um, Different notes here. Uh, accommodation of 12 plus flight crew and troops. Uh, they had one uh, warp system. They had a slightly different uh, warp system than than what the uh, the um, you know the the kind of Federation had. One impulse system. Length was 68.32 meters. Beam was 70 meters and height was 18 meters uh, for a mass of 2.450 metric tons and warp performance of 9.6 with three phased Polaron beam. You know what I thought was cool about these ones was the fact that on their underside, they looked like a hornet when they lit up because they had like stripes on their belly. 
Yeah, they reminded me of the um, the bugs in Starship Troopers. The big, yes. uh, the big, the big bugs that come yes. out of the ground. Yes, and they have this, those big underbellies. I mean, mm-hmm. they're yeah, they're. I thought they were really, really, really cool. I wouldn't want to meet one in a dark alley. Negative. Negative. So then we have the battle cruisers, which were the the a, a much bigger ship, almost a galaxy. It, a galaxy class size ship. and wasn't that the ship that was crash landed on the planet and that remember when no was, that was supposed to be was that a regular one yeah that was supposed to be small oh, i didn't one. know that okay all right because we I only think. saw part of it sticking out of the ground i think right these were really amazing looking though oh my gosh yeah all the purple lights and i know everything. i love that just love it yeah Those oh yeah great. they're nice ships and apparently these these um these kind of gemar dar ships were kind of the um some of the last actually physical built models that they actually did for Star Trek. So now oh, they, right? they had the ability to cloak too, didn't they? No. Uh no. Jemadar oh. ships did not cloak. Okay, so oh that's right. Because they the I remember that. I remember they, they borrowed the was it from the Romulans we borrowed the cloak for the Defiant? Yes. And yes. then they had to be on the they had to have a presence on the on the on the away teams and stuff like that. Yep. Yep. And that's right, because I remember them going into Jem'Hadar territory. Yep. And then in the uh, DS9 episode, Valiant, we are introduced to the Jem'Hadar battleship, where they have that whole episode where the, the what was it, the, um, well, the Valiant was the um, Defiant class ship crewed by cadets. Oh, that's right. Oh, my God. Let me tell you something. Having just recently seen that episode, it made me so angry really so it, it, it i understand what they're going for but the idea that these kids are running this ship and they're all like these hardcore soldiers all of a sudden it was just it it, it strained credibility to the point where i'm just like i'm a hand over my head i'm like oh my god i can't believe i'm watching this this is so annoying these kids are so irritating and this is so unrealistic and i'm saying that watching star trek oh like, that's oh funny god, yeah it, just, it made me crazy but the whole episode is about this, you know, these these cadets. The entire adult crew of the ship is dead. Right. Okay? It's it's Lord of the Flies in, on the on a Defiant class ship apparently. <laughs> so all the adults are dead, and Nog and um, and Jake end up being rescued by these Jokers after getting attacked by the Dominion, and they're on a quote unquote secret mission. So they can't tell Starfleet that there are a bunch of kids alone running around and, you know, fi- trying to hide from the Jemadar, right. trying to find this Jemadar battleship. Right. So it's kind of like a sink the Bismarck kind of <laughs> thing where, you know, the Bismarck was this giant or the Yamato, these giant battleships built by the Germans or the Japanese that we were trying to sink and trying to find. And, and, but it was a cool ship. The Jemadar battleship was really, really cool. It was massive. Yeah. It was huge. Very and cool. I can't, I think it only appears again, in the final battle for Cardassia, when the Federation finally takes Cardassia back from the Dominion. Anyway, I'm 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 going off on a tangent because that episode really annoyed me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. That's all right. It's good. Rabbit trails are good sometimes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but a cool ship, though. Is there any other Jemadar ships? No, not really. That was pretty much it for the the Dominion. Pretty much. Uh, the founders else- just. Just got rides with everybody, right? Yeah, the finders made everyone else give them a ride. That's right. Yep. Yeah, they didn't need a. They didn't need. They didn't need their own ships. They were just like I say. Well, hey, you saved some of my favorite to the last. The Borg. 
dun, dun. I can't do the <laughs> You will the be Borg. assimilated. That's right. Remember the seeing the Borg ship for the first time? When yeah, I was like, it's a giant square. square. <laughs> yeah. That's not really scary until you realize that the Enterprise can do nothing to it. When you think about it, though, the design of the Borg cube is so perfect for the Borg because Absolutely. there's no aesthetics at all. At all. I mean, it's simply a shape that can contain the greatest amount of volume. Yeah. So it's a square, mm-hmm. and it is it is equal length on all sides, and it's nothing but equipment, and yeah. that's it. There's yeah. nothing pretty. There's no NCC one seven yeah. nomenclature. There's no yeah. lights illuminating it, making no. it look nice. No. It's a tool, and it's just like it's absolutely perfect. I think really, and, and it's terrifying for a square. It is because it well not only because it's so big, and it's so it's seemingly random because you don't know where to attack it. I mean, right. they, 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 they talk about that in first contact and in the episodes, it's like, where do you, where, or in TNG, where do you shoot it? Yeah. Where's the bridge? Yeah. Where's the, where's the system that's going to disable their shields or their engines or their weapon system. Right. You have no idea. And it's almost like a living thing. Like in that, in the TNG episode, when they first encounter it, when yeah. I where guess it when heals Q itself. Them, yeah. That it actually like repairs itself yeah. it's like a living yeah. thing, you know. It's uh, oh, I don't. I'll totally never creepy. forget. I never forget when they uh, carved out that round part oh, of out the of the sun. Enterprise. Oh my gosh! I know <laughs> that was the first time in Star Trek that it, it seriously made me go ee yeah. because I was like, I don't want to be on a ship like that. They can't be doing that. Hey, that's the Enterprise. Oh. Knock it off. It was creepy. It was creepy. Great special effects though. It yeah it looks and, great and, on and, Blu-ray too. Yeah, it totally does. I mean, and, and the fact that it becomes, I mean, arguably, after the Enterprise and things like the Defiant and um, Voyager and the, and the D7, I would suggest, I think the Borg Cube is probably one of the most iconic, you yeah. know, sh- enemy ships that they've ever made for Star Trek. I mean, that's like, you know, you show that to people and it's like, that's, something that everyone can sort of relate to and always always knows what it is. And- Do you remember, though, in First Contact, when the Borg cube opens up and out pops the round, the, the sphere? sphere. Yeah. Oh, sphere. my gosh. Yeah. I just, I just like, that was, I don't know. First Contact is one of the coolest movies ever. Oh, it's a great movie, yeah. And and when, when I saw that, it, it just it never occurred to me that they would have a round ship. Yeah, no, it's it's very very cool. I mean, so Jeff, what are the what are the stats on the Borg cube? How big are they? Uh, they don't they don't give us stats, but it can hold up to one hundred thirty thousand people. So, <laughs> so it's probably <laughs> it's a, a mile s- or so. Yeah, it's like a city there, I guess. Uh, wow, that's a lot. They got transwarp capable, as we know, and then they've got beams and projectile weaponry, cutting beams, magnetic. Metric guided charges, missiles, tractor beams, deflector shield, subspace field, electromagnetic field, regeneration, force field. So, like, say the Borg, they they kind of uh, like say assimilate everyone else's technology and uh, put it into these cubes, making them so uh, so uh, kind of uh, scary and and almost unbeatable. There. Well, that, I, I think unbeatable is, is the right word. I mean, the right phrase to say because I mean, when when they show up. You just go, oh, we're screwed. Yeah, <laughs> Cause, completely. Because I mean, what are you going to do? It's like you can't fight it. It you can't reason with them. Right. You can't negotiate with them. They don't want to talk to you. Right. They just want to assimilate you, and that's yeah. it. 
Sorry, yeah. and, and and they're gonna do it unless you can come unless you can come up with something really really clever because they are just so powerful. It's just yeah. you know they they're so, and now I think that's as a as a construct as far as a, as a storytelling device. That's why the Borg are so great as a Star Trek villain. And you know to to just again go down a rabbit hole real quick, a real compliment to Trek over the years is that the Borg are are a villain that have never been overutilized. They've been utilized just right. You know, they've, and they've never tried to sugar, like the Klingons were the bad guys, then they became the good guys, now right. they're our friends or pals. Right. Right. And even the Romulans and the Cardassians, but the Borg are always just the Borg. They're never going to be their buddies. Yeah, when they show up, it's always going to be bad. Yeah. There's never going to be, and that's, and that's actually one knock on Voyager, not to knock, Seven of Nine, because Seven was given enough of a backstory to explain why she sort of comes around. But when they did that whole episode with those Borg kids and everything, yeah. it's like, oh, don't, don't ruin the Borg. You know, let yeah. the Borg be just awful. And yeah. let the Borg be our nightmare for the Federation. Because the Federation, being a utopia, needs a nightmare, and it's called the Borg. Yeah. Yeah. I've always in, I I thought they totally hit it out of the park with that villain. That yeah. was just amazing. Did you ever get a chance to go to uh, the Star Trek Experience, Brian? I did. Yeah, and I, I I went there. I went there before they did the they had the Borg the Borg four D or the the Borg was a Borg no it was Borg Klingon 4D. encounter Borg experience. But I, right. I saw both of both shows and the Borg one's fun because you sat in these chairs. Yeah, and they were. Did you go, Rick? I did. Oh, that's right. You did. Yeah. They would rock and they would blow like mist on you. Yeah, it was, awesome. it was really, really fun. Or especially like when that one. Remember when the the um, the uh, the probe comes straight at you and then it yeah. and then it, I mean they literally hit you with something, uh-huh. and man, we all jumped. It was awesome. Even yeah, the, it was I, even creepy. Uh, like say when I went, it was just creepy when they had the guy come out dressed as the Borg oh. and you're standing there. It was just in like, the hallway. Like, in the hallway. Yes. And, the, and the green lights are shining yeah. down the hallway and everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, really, really, without a doubt, one of the great great trek villains yeah. and a, a villain that you know it's 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 i think you know i i hope that that trek continues on the big screen for at least another couple movies and um i hope that there's a chance to sort of visit some of this stuff i know people always want to say oh let's go explore but i'm like oh i'd love to see a new version of the Borg. oh wouldn't that be something guys. that would be great that yeah, would be it's great. great they're a great concept the whole concept of the borg is great and their ships i think really reflect that and they just are just you know what's funny nero's ship always reminded me kind of a borg ship because it always yeah it big time. cobbled together yeah but it was invincible you know they had to create a black hole to destroy it but it destroyed the entire federation fleet at yeah. that time with no yeah. problem yeah so very very cool stuff and i guess be, besides the sphere and the cube, and what a scout ship! There really wasn't anything else we ever really saw. Is that right, Jeff? Well, there was. Yeah, there was the scout really. ship looked like a Rubik's cube. Right, right. It had more sides to it. And then, of course, there's that whole thing with Hugh, and you know, the whatever. I think that was a scout ship that was crashed on the planet, wasn't it? Right. And oh, then they had they had the the, the queen, the Borg queen vessel, which. And then was they had like, the one with lore. The the O three or whatever. Oh right, yeah, yeah. yeah. That looks uh-huh. like a big arm, like a like a like a big arm from a monster, a mech yep. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of cool when we saw that. Yeah, but no. that really was a Borg hybrid. 
and I, I did I, I I like like the green glow of everything. Although I mean, although it always did kind of remind me of the Romulans. I, they you know they they sort of used that look for the Romulans and they brought it back for the Borg, but. It definitely suited them, and especially on the interior, because it was kind of a sickly green color, and it just kind of looked like decay, and ugh, it was just back. Very awesome. Yeah. So, Is there any more ships that uh, any more ships you think we should uh, talk about here? Well, there's only other there's only a couple of other ships that that stand out to me that we didn't cover because they were only seen maybe once, you know, and that would be like remember the Year of Hell in in Voyager. Yeah, they had the temporal ship that was just fantastic. It was. I do not remember that at all. I took. I had to go look that up. Don't you remember? It was a big ship that the guy. Uh, the guy from. Uh, what was that silly comedy about the aliens? Yeah. Um, he was the commander, and uh, and basically they they did a whole year worth of. Uh, I remember. I remember the episode where they, where they were kept. The Voyager kept getting blown apart into a million pieces. Right, right. But the the this the whole thing was, was like they the had year this. Hell was yeah. it the two two uh, two episode one where they just, right. just these guys just beat the the heck out of uh, Voyager there. Well, the right. the problem was they were doing temporal incursions on this ship, yeah. and the ship was had this really cool like uh, uh, core to it that uh, allowed it not to be affected by the temporal rifts. So they all stayed the same age, and then and they kept going there, but they were changing history as they would do these incursions and the oh, ship was what enabled them to do it it was pretty darn cool so i like that what else gosh what's the other ship that i was thinking about that i really you were talking about, about the breen off microphone oh that's there. right that's right oh the breen yeah when we were was it voyager no ds9 it was ds9 okay and and i'll never forget uh we had never seen their ships we'd heard about them Right. But we'd never even seen what they look like or what their ships look like. And then all of a sudden, in this particular episode, these these Breen ships show up and they like they're firing into the windows of of, uh, of uh, people's homes. It was just crazy. And they they were big. They were huge. Yeah, they were really big, big. guns and everything. That was awesome. Yep. I enjoyed those. Yeah. And Very of course, cool and the the other thing we didn't talk about was the cool little shuttlecraft um, in the motion picture. I don't know. You know, it look, it was just a little tiny box, but with Scotty and Kirk in it, and they're flying to the Enterprise for the first time, th- there's something that's near and dear to my heart about that oh, little ship. Rick Boyer for the nostalgic win. Yeah. <laughs> I'm calling it right now. You're absolutely right. And, and you know, it was clearly, it, you know, it's it's a little short range because it goes from the station over to the the dry dock right. where the Enterprise is. Right. And you're right. They get, they get this nice big window so they can film – they can film the characters from the outside standing inside and make it look nice, and the, and they can look out and see the Enterprise. And you're right, and you know, at a little design that they used a lot. And uh, no, that's 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 good. Although not an alien ship, it is it is definitely worth mentioning because I don't think we yeah. mentioned it back when yeah. we talked about the Federation. Well, ship. it reminds me of a like like if you ripped. I used to do this. I used to take egg cartons and and and. Uh, slice them up and make spaceships out of them. It was like if you took one of the egg carton things, you know, one little thing that held an egg, you could make Rick, a little shuttlecraft out I of it. I want to go back in time and take little Rick to Toys R Us. <laughs> I, I do. I, I'm going to take you shopping at Toys R Us. I used shoeboxes to make shuttlecrafts. Did you really? Yeah. They were awesome. Oh, speaking of which, we should, just a quick revisit to the Federation ships. Did you guys see the restored Galileo 7? I haven't yet. Is it? Oh my gosh! Done? It's done. Yeah, it's done. The the guys that that bought the original. I did hear that. Yeah. Full size filming miniature, the Galilee Seven from that junkyard in in um I think it was in California. 
they have done a complete restoration of it. I, I actually have been following them on Facebook, and I've been following I've been following the story for a couple of years. It's been pretty, neat. and they've done a complete renovation of it. It looks incredible. Yeah. It looks brand new. Granted, they they literally had to do a frame up restoration of yeah. it. I mean, the all the paneling and everything was so rotted. So what's original is the frame, the nacelles, and a couple of like the landing struts and things like that. But they right. had to replace all of the bondo and the and the, sh- the not sheetrock, but whatever it was that makes the sides and right, of right. the exterior. And they had to replace all the decals and the prints, but. What what they what they got looks incredible, and it's going to a museum, I think, in Texas. I think it is a museum has has hired it as a commissioned it as a um, display. But yeah, it, looks it looks impressive. Amazing. I'm looking at it right now. It looks really yeah, impressive. It, I'd it love it to see amazing. that. They did they just did a phenomenal job in restoring that, and that is so wonderful. And so everyone out there in Trex and Sci-Fi Land, there is a movement that is going on. It is not finalized yet, but there is a group of people that are thinking about trying to start a Kickstarter program to raise funds to restore the original nine-foot filming miniature of the original series Enterprise that <sighs> is currently at display in the Smithsonian uh, food court downstairs that's where it's been relegated to to restore it to its original filming look because you know unfortunately it's been over the years repaired and redone and i'm not quite sure how but the people that redid it last the last time who are star trek fans did a terrible job they repainted it they made it it looks terrible right now. So there's a, a movement underway to restore it and have it brought back up to its original specs. And so keep an eye out. And if I ever hear anything additional about that, I'll be sure to let Rico know so he can uh, mention it in the podcast if they're going to do the Kickstarter program. That's pretty cool. Yeah, because uh, have you seen the model? No. Oh, it looks terrible. It looks it looks so bad. It court. doesn't look anything like what you saw on screen. <sighs> I, I have no idea how they got... They got thinking this is the way it's supposed to look, but it it looks ridiculous. It looks so bad. I saw it a couple of years ago when Jamie and I were in um, D.C. for a wedding, and I was yeah. just like, oh, my gosh. And I saw it you know, over the years as a kid going down to D.C., having grown up on the East Coast. And for years, it was hanging up um, in one section of the Smithsonian, and it was just off the off the studio floor and so it had all the imperfections it had one side of the of that model is completely not done there are no windows there's nothing because that's where they mounted it for filming there's only one side of the enterprise that's actually completely finished um but it just they redid it and it just looks ridiculous so if you go online rick and jeff you can i'll go check it out yeah what it looks like right now but anyway so there's a kickstarter program to try and restore that and i think it's great that a lot of the ships that we talked about today have found their way into private collections and or museums where they can be cherished and they can be restored and they can be kept up. And, uh, you know, again, it's uh, I, th- I think the one thing that all three of us can agree upon is that we've all discussed ships that were in at one time or another a practical model. And I think it's just a testament to. Yeah how wonderful practical models yeah. are. And uh, I think, you know, I think we've, we've lost a little bit of something in the CGI world and uh, I miss them. Yeah. They were, yeah. they were pretty amazing. And I, I always loved watching the making of them and the behind the scenes stuff and how they, you know, photographed them. It was very cool. Yeah, totally. Exactly. 
Well, there we go, gentlemen. That's we've, it. We've That's talked about the alien ships, even though I just realized that the one, the, the other ship that I said was a Starfleet ship. Sorry. The shuttlecraft was a Starfleet, okay. wasn't it? It, it? gave me a chance to mention the uh, that Kickstarter program in the Galileo. And I got to talk about egg everyone, everyone should go check a, take a look at that Galileo because it's just a really amazing piece of work. Well, Rico, thank you for letting us be on the program again. Now, next time we get together, what kind of ships are we going to talk about next time? I know. Star what we Wars got? ships. Yeah. Star oh, Wars I'm, ships. I'm there. I'm yeah. there. Yeah. And I guess we're going to have uh, Joe along with us. So yeah, we're, well, that'll be fun. This, uh, I might American even bow out of that Canadian one because uh, even though I love Star Star Wars, I don't know any of the ships other than X-Wings and Y-Wings. And, oh, you know. Yeah, you got to do it, Rick. Okay, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> you really twisted my arm. <laughs> of course oh, I will. I love I just talk about it, the era and the heyday of the practical model. I mean, let's face it, those those cats, they they put it on the map. I yep. mean, this this is going back to the originals. So Yeah, that's great. Can't wait to do it with you guys. I always just love love getting a chance to talk to you guys and and to to put out this stuff and have a little walk down these lanes and it's Very just cool. great. So thank you so much for all including right. me in all this. And Rico, oh, thank you no so problem. much for letting us have the time. Very cool. All right, everybody. This is Rick Moyer. This is Jeff Job. And this is Brian Dunn. Saying goodbye, live long, and prosper. Oh, yeah. Thanks, dude.